listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Updates. Uh, I am Claire, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind. And Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thanks to everyone joining us on ACB Radio, as well as those who are listening or downloaded via their favorite podcast player. And as always, you can learn more about the American Council of the Blind by visiting www.acb.org. And as always, we'll say it again at the end because we can't stress it enough, but if you have any advocacy issues you want to be talking to us about, um, please feel free to reach out at advocacy at acb.org. Clark and I definitely want to hear what's going on, help where we can, take note of what's going on um, all around the U.S. So, without further ado, uh, we'll go ahead and introduce our guest today. I'm really excited to have her. Um, She is from Guide Dogs for the Blind, a school that many of our ACB members have dogs from. Um, So, without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself, Karen Woon? Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yes, I'm Karen Woon. I'm the Vice President for Guide Dogs for the Blind, and I come to Guide Dogs for the Blind with a background in advertising and brand strategy. And it's just been a true delight to, to work here for the past seven years and really have a career with a purpose. Um, I'm loving being part of this life-changing mission. Where were you pre-GDB, uh, if you don't mind as- uh, asking? I worked for a company called Profit Brand Strategy. And prior to that, I worked for J. Walter Thompson and McCann Erickson, so all sort of global organizations and I was sort of an account person on the advertising side and then when I moved to profit I was a brand strategist for a while which was helping figure out for companies how they should best go to market say after a merger and acquisition how they should position themselves in the marketplace Um, and then once I had kids and was less interested in traveling all the time I moved to a corporate marketing role Um, yeah and I did that for gosh almost 15 years which was really rewarding and it was great to be part of global growth, but I was ready for something different. And as a longtime fan of Labradors and a strong believer in the human animal bond, um, when I saw the job come up on LinkedIn for guide dogs for the blind, the harps played and the rest is kind of history. I like it. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much answered this question all, already, Karen, but it, is there anything else that drew you um, towards guide dogs for the blind or helped you make that move? Well, I was definitely looking for more meaning in my professional life and also honestly looking for a little more work-life integration so that I could spend more time with my kids who are growing quickly and I felt like I was at times missing out on things. Um, Working in a truly global organization that's 24-7 and being sort of an internal resource, it's quite busy and, you know, as exciting as that was, um, I felt I wasn't necessarily leading my, my best life and so it's worked out really great. I got to spend a lot more time with the boys as they grew up you know they're now um basically men one's a junior in high school and one's a freshman in college um you can't possibly be old enough to have kids that age (laughs) god bless you (laughs) (laughs) i like to say how can that be when i'm you know 29 but that's right (laughs) i'm uh almost twice that so yeah no that was really a great move and the other thing that 
um, really spoke to me. My father, who has since passed away, had Alzheimer's, and um, he had a Labrador retriever who really connected with him in a way that we as a family had a difficult time doing as he began to lose his language skills and other cognitive skills. And she just always knew the right thing to do to lean on him and be with him and make him happy. And, you know, dogs have a way of connecting with people, even with dementia that sort of brings them to a different place. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to um, work in a situation where dogs are really able to change people's lives. And here at Guide Dogs for the Blind, they're, they're definitely doing that and, you know, have since 1942. So it's a it's a real joy to to see our guide dog teams walking around campus and out in the world and succeeding and feel like I'm a small part of getting them here. I love that. It's so true. Um, obviously, I'm biased, but as somebody who's worked with guides now for many years, I can definitely see the impact that dogs have on our lives, and they really do, you know, hold a special place in our hearts. So I I love to hear stories like that. Um, so let's jump in. Um, we, of course, are happy to talk to you um, and have you here, but we are here to talk with you specifically for a certain reason today, and that is I'm sure many of our members out there have seen or heard of the new documentary series or docu-series, as they call it, Pick of the Litter. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it? I know there was a a documentary that came out in 2018, I believe, that was the first kind of iteration, and then it took on kind of a life of its own. Can you kind of start back in 2018, or it probably even started before that, and then kind of catch us up on where it is now in 2020? Sure, happy to. Yeah, we were first approached in 2016 by wow. Don Hardy and Dana Nachman, who are filmmakers, um, and they had had the idea to do this premise for a long time and the basic notion is following a, a litter of dogs from the moment they're bored, born excuse me, to their ultimate journey to becoming guide or some mm -hmm. other purpose. Yeah. Um, and it turns out it was very funny. Um, Dana's mom is a journalist who had worked in the East Coast and many years earlier she'd written a series of newspaper articles um, that did a similar thing and followed a litter of pups. And so Dana oh, likes cool. to say, you know, she, she stole from the very best, her mom. Um, <laughs> So that was the premise of it. And um, we were very excited uh, for an opportunity to really raise the profile of our organization. And our CEO, Chris Benninger, was very much in favor of doing this. I mean, what helped us was knowing that Don and Dana had been journalists in the Bay Area for a long time and put out some really terrific documentaries, including Bat Kid Begins, which was a wonderful story. So we knew they'd be striking the right tone and we decided to, to go for it. Um, and it, we literally called Don, I think, you know, I don't know if it was in the middle of the night to say the, the litter that we want to follow is, is being born, get over to campus. And so no in the movie, yeah. So it started, you know, real quickly thereafter. And then they proceeded to film both on campus and puppy raisers homes for, you know, the next 12 to 15 months. Um, and then when the dogs came back for training, then they were filming heavily on campus. Um, and there's a lot of things that we learned along the way as today, you know, as you know, guide dogs move really quickly. So it's difficult yes. to film them. The people who are filming them basically need to run alongside them. Otherwise <laughs> you get a lot of sort of rear end shots, which are not ideal. And most of those ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, <laughs> so Don actually developed this rig um, where he can run alongside and it's, it's sort of like a a steady cam of sorts. And so he could really capture the beauty of the training happening as well as ultimately um, some of the dogs working with their handlers. 
Um, so it was really a great experience. Um, so, and then in 2018, almost two years ago um, this week, I guess it was, um, the film premiered at Slamdance, which is sort of a, a, a Sundance adjacent film festival for mm -hmm. independent films. And it was, uh, we celebrated by having a whole bunch of guide dog puppies and guide dogs walking up the main street in Park City, which got oh, some really great awesome. media. It was so fun. And just, this movie's a wonderful shared experience. I mean, people are clapping and crying and, you know, shouting. It's like, it's unlike any other movie I've been in. Um, and so it was very well received there. And it was purchased very shortly thereafter by Sundance IFC Select after a bidding war for the movie. Mm. Um, so we're really pleased with that placement. And they were willing to have it continue on in um, movie festivals for a while prior to its actual big launch, which was kind of neat because it was bi-coastal. There was uh, some promotion in New York at the same time there was in LA. So mm -hmm. I was really lucky and I got to go um, to New York with um, Ann Tyson and Tammy Schenkel, who are two of our staff members mm -hmm. with three young puppies. And so oh, we were fine. in Manhattan for about a week. Um, we had one of our team members on the Today Show and, and we had a puppy demonstrate food refusal of kibble oh. spelling the word today, which was very fun. And we're on Cheddar and BuzzFeed and all kinds of other things. And then in LA, Chris, our CEO, was there and we were doing um, dogs on red carpets and doing sort of entertainment programs and things like that. So we got a huge uh, media boost with that. And uh, that continue, has continued for quite a long time now and it's led to great increases in interest from clients and puppy raisers and a lot of really wonderful donations, which is so important to us because we don't charge anything for our services yeah. and we don't receive any government funding. So it's the generosity of donors that fuel this mission in addition to our wonderful volunteers, of course. So it's done really great things for us. So Karen, how many dogs does GDB raise a year and how many dogs are paired with um, a person with a vision impairment each year? Good question. So we raise about 800 each year and about 300 graduate and then also we have another I think 50 to 75 that go into our breeding colony and we view those as um, successes as well and on a brief side note on that the dog that I took to New York his name is Gertie um, was a wonderful companion great dog who was ultimately pulled to be a breeder and now our family are breeder custodians for her so that's a special part in my heart of, I'm uh, so glad you brought that up I was going to ask uh, at the end if not now what to tell us a little bit about Gertie so I love that she gets a shout out <laughs> yeah she's a wonderful dog she's small and feisty and she gives our pet dog um, Jake really a run for his money. Um, she's had one litter so far, um, small but mighty, just really adorable um, dogs who are out there right now with puppy raisers and I can't wait to um, see what they do. And interestingly, one of them went to one of the puppy raisers who was in the original movie and we're friends on Facebook, so I've been following this Oh my puppy gosh, how fun. So it's a very small world, but that's a really fun thing. Um, and another person that I know had one of the other ones. There's just one, I'm not quite sure. Um, of the razor uh, name and I need to kind of follow up on that and see because I'd love to see how the third one is doing but that was really fun um, and it's wonderful to participate in the mission in a different way and a really nice thing to do for our family so that's, that's been great. a really special special different lens into the mission as an employee I've loved that a lot so Karen you talked yeah. about the original pick of the litter documentary 
Um, Which, by the way, I went to see and cried. I will admit, I had no shame. I definitely cried. <laughs> don't but feel that, bad. I watched it 17 times and cried every single one. Of I them, love so. it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's been some recent developments um, since that original documentary as well, right? Yes, we've been very excited to be part of a Disney Plus docu-series of the same name and uh, especially thrilled, too, to be one of the few sort of, you know, original series that was not under the Disney umbrella originally. So it's quite a compliment to be asked to to do that. Um, and apparently the story goes that the, I think it's the Disney CEO, Bob Iger, saw the film and said, I want that series for Disney Plus. And oh, wow. I guess what Bob, Bob wants, Bob gets. And Bob gets, That's yep. great for us. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we were very excited when they approached us. Um, it was great that Don and Dana would continue to be part of it. So that was reassuring to us. But we wanted to make sure that we really understood um, what this might mean for us. We knew it would be huge awareness, but we wanted to make sure that the same you know, tone that we put through all of our materials and channels and everything would, would be held true to in the, in the series. And you know, they assured us that it would be educational and positive, and they certainly delivered in you know, a great fashion on that. It's a wonderful, positive series that really gives a great insight into our, into our mission, which is wonderful. Um, and then they also, of course, have a wonderful brand and they understand our requests that we had about ensuring that we not only retain the brand tone, but things like our puppy raising coats and harnesses and whatnot, if there were going to be promotional materials. And, you know, I think right now there's well over 10 million people are on Disney Plus and the series oh, wow. art for our series, you know, has our puppy vest on it. And then when you get down to the episode level, you see a guide dog and harness and you see guide dogs for blind. It's, it's really important to us that it was clear that we were the school that was putting all the heart and soul into this. And all the other schools are wonderful as well. But since this was really sort of our our project, we wanted to make sure that, that there was a very tight linkage between sort of the Disney Plus and guide dogs for blind brand. And that, that's worked out very well. Well, the other thing I loved about it was just how uh, how well they did showing all the different processes processes there are in uh, training a guide dog from starting at the beginning with the puppy raisers and showing what the puppy raisers do, but then going back to campus and working with professional uh, trainers to work on that aspect of their training and then all the testing dogs go through and I think the docu series just did such a great job to show you know these dogs don't just slap on a harness and they're ready to go but all the work that goes into it and what and also to show what the dogs can do for us all the different aspects of their training. Indeed they did a really good job and robust job in telling the whole mission and one thing that we really like is the the documentary film was 80 minutes and this is more like 180 minutes or longer. And so we had the luxury of time to delve deeper into a lot of things that are really important to us. Like we were really hoping we'd see more of the clients and you do in this series. And I think, you know, people who are blind and visually impaired tend to be underrepresented in the media. And this yes. is just an enormous, wonderful platform to show how guide dogs are enabling people to really lead their best lives. And, and that, you know, there's a diversity in our clients as well, you know, students and lawyers like yourself and moms and grandmothers and, you know, all manner of, of different roles that people are playing and they're leading these rich full lives. And so that was a huge opportunity that we feel really great about. And we're thankful for Disney plus and, you know, all the folks that worked on the, the series to really hear us on that. And they also did a really great job in 
we did a number of Q&A sessions uh, mm -hmm. when the film was touring around, and the same questions came up over and over again around what happens when a dog's reti dog retires and how yeah. much do they work and all these things. And so we had a really great conversation before we ever started filming about trying to find ways to address those in very organic ways. Um, because as you know, a dog only works, a guide dog only works a couple hours a day, right? And they're mm -hmm. with their person 24 seven. Um, so it was important to show the amount of play and downtime and things they get. So there's a lot of gorgeous slow motion footage of the dogs really enjoying, you know, their time off. Um, or the nap my guide dog is taking in the other room right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but the true joy and service they do have when they're working. And, yeah, you know, exactly. actually with your storyline, I was so grateful that, you know, you had a retirement party and it was clear that, you know, your previous dog was going off to a great friend and you'd continue to be a part of each other's lives. And that's just, that was just one of many things that we were able to convey. And we felt like we had a true partnership with the producers in that regard. So um, spoiler alert. Um, for those who have not watched the series, which is available on Disney Plus, uh, available with audio description, yes, Claire, sitting directly to my left, <laughs> is one of the featured guide dog handlers who was paired with a new service dog. So we were actually really excited to, I mean, first of all, I was very honored to be a part of it. Um, I'm a, a very proud GDB graduate and just a proud guide dog handler in general. So I was really excited to play a part in showing, you know, the rest of the world what it means to use a guide dog and go through that whole process. But it was also really exciting for those of us here at ACB because they showed kind of a day in the life of Clarence. So we were actually able to show everybody what a day at ACB looks like and um, all of us have a little cameo Clark's in there Eric's in there Kelly's in there Sharon so that was pretty fun too that ACB um, kind of was was viewed as well on the docuseries again spoiler alert if you haven't watched it yet but it was pretty exciting for us at ACB as well so. indeed no we were really great that that was part of it and uh, there are many other secrets to be revealed if people haven't haven't seen it yet but, that's right yes um, many more and, Indeed. But yeah, no, it was a really great process. And one thing I wanted to note too, it was so different from the documentary in a number of ways, but not the least of which was because it was a Disney production and striving for the highest quality of production. You know, we had 14 people that were here on campus often filming things with multiple cameras and boom mics and story editors and PAs and all these different things. And so we used to joke, it was kind of like the clown car because they were in one of our offices and they would just keep coming and coming and coming. And uh, we had gotten the custom to having a very light crew with, you know, Don and Don and Dana. And so you see the movie was also very beautiful, um, but with Disney's um, resources too, they're able to employ some really special technology at times that shows in some of those gorgeous, um, sort of guide dog work scenes as well as the play scenes and other things so no that it's was so really true. great the first time they came to um, my place in DC to do the initial filming before I went out to California to get Tulane uh, that exact same clown car scene played out where they knocked on my door and I opened up and said hey come on in and I expected a few people to come and no suddenly this you know line of people started coming one after the other after the other so yeah very very fun but unexpected experience Indeed. And you know, what was really neat is that, you know, the vast majority of them, of course, were brand new to our mission. 
and they really embraced it. And so I think that made us feel great. They were invested in it. And I remember it was uh, one of the, the dog days where people received their guide dog for the first time. You know, they weren't in the room when it was happening, most of them, but they could hear kind of the joy that was in the client's voice and they were crying, you know, so that meant a lot to us. That just made me misty myself, but I thought that was really special that they were so invested and they've come on tours and come to graduations. And, you know, I think they'll be continuing to be fans of us, whether they're, you know, affiliated with any projects going forward or not. That was really special. Yeah, I know the uh, one day when I was going out to work with Tulane, my guide, for those of you who don't know, um, the sound guy was putting the mic on me and Tulane started wagging her tail and jumping up and all excited. And the sound guy said, oh, Tulane loves me. We're good buddies already. And I just smiled and I thought that was so fun that Tulane and the sound guy were buddies. (laughs) That's very cute. I'm sure that was the case. Yes. So Karen, you mentioned some of the impact from the original documentary. Um, what sort of impact have you seen from the docu-series on Disney Plus? Yeah, it's early days, but we're already seeing some really exciting things. We've had a huge uptick in interest in puppy raising, hmm. um, which is fantastic because um, we do want to serve more people over time and we need you know, to have fantastic raisers. We have about 2,000 raisers in the 10 Western states and they play a really seminal role in, in helping us get these dogs to, to guide. But we do continue to need to put, you know, raisers in the top of the funnel and we're getting lots of interest, which is great. Uh, we've also seen uh, increased interest on the staffing level. You know, I think people see the wonderful positions that are here ranging from working in breeding to being a trainer or working in the residence hall. Um, you know, you don't see the admin folks like myself uh, doing things because that's probably not quite as alluring, even though I love my job. Um, <laughs> but there are definitely people that are interested in that way. Um, it's, we're not sure yet on the donation front, but we seem to have a very good end of year. And I think that pick of the litter certainly, you know, can impact things like direct mail and and other things in a positive way when there's this foundation of awareness that's out there. Um, And I've heard from the admissions folks too, that there seems to be an uptick in interest there. And I think it's going to continue to build now that it's all the episodes are out there and it's bingeable. It's a, you know, a great water cooler show to talk about. And I'm certain our community will be binging it time and time again, um, which is, which is all really great. The other thing that's a, I think a huge boon is that we've been showing it to all of the classes that come through. And especially for first-time guide dog users, they're really able to see the love and care that the raisers and staff put into creating these wonderful guide dogs. And I think that's really great. And then similarly for our raisers, who may not have as much insight into what's happening once a puppy they've raised has come back to campus, they get to see that side too. so it's really sort of mutually reinforcing, you know, we like to kind of call it our happy spider web here and all these interconnections that we have. And uh, the, the movie's doing a nice job with that. And we also watched it every Friday as a staff, which was really fun. We oh, had, that's awesome. You know, snack, you know, Pringles and popcorn yeah. and all kinds of stuff. And <laughs> everyone, everyone listened to it with audio description, which was great. And that actually created some really funny moments like, you know, we didn't get a chance to review the audio description, so they described golden retrievers as furry labs that we thought was really funny. And <laughs> there's another scene where they were talking about the different reasons dogs get career changed, and there were like 10 of them, and so it sounded like a bad pharmaceutical ad. Where that's it's exactly what my friend said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what my friend said when we watched it together. 
Yeah. And so, so that was really great. I'm so glad that it's audio described. That's something that we had asked for when we were in our, you know, contractual discussions and everything. Yeah. And they assured us that all original shows on Disney Plus um, would be audio described. And so I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a must have, but it's also a neat experience here for people maybe who haven't, you know, watched a show with audio description to experience it that way. So yeah. really proud and happy about that. Great. Well, is there anything else through your, the last, I mean, you said since 2016, so from 2016 now to 2020 and the uh, several years of interacting with the team and seeing kind of the pro projection of first a documentary and now the series that you think would be valuable for us, um, again, as we have many, many members of ACB who are guide dog users, is there anything you think um, we we should hear or wisdom that you can impart you know working at gdb and seeing this whole process go well i you know encourage everyone to tell their friends and family and co-workers to watch it and not just because we hope there'll be a second season because we really hope there will be and we think <laughs> that people need to vote, vote with their remote in order to make that happen I like that. <laughs> but i just think we're living in kind of difficult times tumultuous times and this is just really a feel good, educational, eye-opening, you know, viewing experience. And so I think the more people who um, see it, the better. And, you know, they say a rising tide lifts all boats. So I think things like this are going to help other guide dog schools. And I think it raises interest and awareness of blindness. Um, mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, that's something that I think is just so important about the series was a prime opportunity to, you know, dimensionalize um, people and and I guess get people to broaden their their thinking. You know, people are always really surprised. For example, when we they're on tours and we tell them that you know 70% of our clients have residual vision, right? Because their view is is likely that people see nothing at all. And there's really a whole range as there are in you know personality and physicality and appearance and all the things. And so yeah. um, that I feel like is that's a that's a gift, I guess. So I I would hope that. Um, you know, your members take the time to watch it if they can and really to um, share it and talk to people about it. Um, we've had the good fortune too, I didn't really mention this, we've had so many more media inquiries that are focused on blindness than we've had in the past, which mm -hmm. is great, and focused on service animals because, you know, like you, of course, we um, are out there talking about access and um, so it gives us a, a platform to deal with some, you know, heady issues that affect our clients. Um, yeah. And there are certainly no shortage of those issues to date. Um, so like you said, it, it's important for public awareness, but it's also important for public policy. Yep. Uh, we're seeing access issues with the notice of proposed rulemaking from the Department of Transportation and the, the Federal Aviation Administration on how airlines and airports will treat service animals aboard aircraft. Uh, there's also a, a press release that's gone out here in late January about how the uh, housing and urban development HUD will be treating and how their uh, folks who fall under the purview of HUD are supposed to treat service and support animals. So I think the, the public awareness that is being built and the more folks who are becoming educated on these issues, it does a lot to help our members and other people who are blind and, got, and service animal users For sure. have the rights and protections that they need. Yeah. 
I think that's so true, and it's it's yeah, it's, it has been really great to, to have that platform. We're doing more advocacy work now. I think you've met Rabia, and of course, you know Teresa. I think who work yep. here. So really getting out and talking more about these important issues, and you know we're excited to see the developments with the Department of Transportation, but also spending our time really understanding. Uh, what exactly is being proposed so that we can provide thoughtful commentary during the 60-day period. And But yeah, I'm glad that a lot of these things are happening and there's a dialogue happening. Um, but this does help bring those things to the surface. Um, there was something else that I did want to mention. Um, you know, of course, our uh, stock and trade is, is really ensuring that people are paired with exceptional guide dogs. Um, but we've developed an orientation and mobility immersion mm -hmm. program that is, is shown in, in the series, and we were really happy that that happened. But that's a program that ensures that people um, who are maybe first-time guide dog users can become guide dog ready. And that is a six-day program that we deliver through three partners, um, Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco, Wayfinder Family Services in LA, and Earlbaum Center in Santa Rosa. And it's a free program. And it's not only beneficial to people who are thinking about getting their guide dog for the first time, but also maybe retrains have lost some vision or have had some change um, in their personal health. And this can help sort of provide a tune-up of sorts. So I really encourage people to look into that if they either need a little bit more O&M or, or need a lot to get them to, to uh, where they'd like to be as it relates to mobility. Um, and again, that's a, that's a free service. And there's lots of information about that on guidedogs.com. That's great. Thank you for putting that plug out there. It's very important. Yeah. So Karen, I have the most important question to ask you at the end. Who was <laughs> okay. your favorite dog on the show? Oh my gosh. I cannot <laughs> pick a favorite. Come um, on. You I know love... who the best one is. I say extremely well, biased. I have to tell you that Tulane does have my favorite behavior that I saw on the show for sure. She's yeah. extremely cute. The fact that she could actually get four paws off the floor <laughs> and jump for joy, literally, was yep. one of my absolute favorite things that That's happened. My girl. <laughs> and yeah, she's great. And, you know, all of the razors, that's something else I really want to say. The razors that were in the show also did such a terrific job. It's no small feat to have a giant camera in your face and yeah. act naturally. And, and, but they still conveyed the, like I said, the love and care and expertise that they put into raising these dogs so very well. So we're super grateful for them for their participation and yes. really proud of our staff too, who also did, you know, they're not trained um, media personalities, right? But they're natural and funny. And I think the show did a really great job kind of showing the unique personality and strengths of the, the staff that are, you know, sort of cast, if you will. Um, but yeah, Tulane is a wonderful, wonderful dog. I think you're, you're a great team and well suited to each other. I mean, she's got some sass and energy that will help you while you're out there on the hill and going to your conferences and just, you know, leading your fun life with friends and whatnot. So definitely <laughs> wish you guys girl. well. All yeah. right. Well, this, this office can't handle any more of this sass. <laughs> uh, so folks know that they can find the Pick of the Litter docuseries streaming live on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and that is with audio description. Karen, where can folks find the documentary that was previously done? Presently, um, I believe it's on Hulu. Um, there's information on our site about that, though. You can go to guidedogs.com, pick up the litter. Um, and it's also, I think, on iTunes and mm -hmm. a few other places presently. Um, it was on Amazon Prime for some time, but things do move on and off. But definitely encourage people to see that as well and to actually watch both and compare and contrast, you know, 
they are a little different, but I think they they both will touch people, and we hope it encourages them to join our community, whatever that looks like, whether that's referring a friend for our services, you know, coming themselves or becoming a volunteer or, or donating. Those are all wonderful things that we encourage. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And as always, again, we said at the beginning, but if you guys have any advocacy needs, uh, please feel free to reach out to myself or Clark um, at advocacy at acb.org. We're here to assist in any way we can. Um, if you have service animal questions, we definitely can answer those questions. So uh, reach out to us. And if you need assistance, filing comments with the Department of Transportation uh, to make sure that the law protects your right to use a service animal when traveling via air, you can reach out to advocacy at acb.org as well. Great. Well, Clark, what do we always say? Keep advocating. Perfect. listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org. Tulane a big big hug as well I will <laughs> of course um, she's of course she's the best but I can't say that you know. <laughs> oh we're still <laughs> recording <laughs> we got it done <laughs>